Not only is it one of the most viewed signs in between the goalposts of any given football game, it's also one of the sweetest bits of music this side of heaven. A look at John 3.16, next on Truth For Today. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, this is Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. Welcome to the program. Our time together today will take us to John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. The sweetest music this side of heaven. The thought, the very fact that we can have eternal life in Christ really is music to our ears. What is it that John is conveying here in John 3.16? Well, join us and find out from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with this edition of Truth For Today. Here's Pastor Phil Howard. Jesus talking to Nicodemus that one must be born again. And right out of that dialogue, some debate. We don't know if this is what was said to Nicodemus or if this was the place John decided to place it in the book and let you know, this is how you can know. This is, you can't predict the wind. You cannot predict. There's a lot of things out there. And I would say this. I live with this tension. And that is, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Uh, I believe God chooses people because he said he did. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And he chose us before time because he probably would never want to choose us in time. (laughs) But he chose us before time. Now, I believe that, I think, uh, a strong, as I know how to believe it. But I also believe in human responsibility. You have to make a choice. And that when you stand before God, it won't be because he didn't choose you. It will be because you didn't choose him. And he'll hold you accountable for that. Now, both those are right there. They're in tension all the way. And uh, just reading about the life of uh, Spurgeon. He couldn't preach in hyper-Calvinistic churches that didn't believe in evangelism because they thought he was an Arminian. Uh, And he couldn't speak uh, in an Arminian church because he believed in election. And so he got shot at from both camps. Because wherever the verse fell, if it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, don't worry about if you're elect or not, believe. He said, well, I don't know. You you don't know any of that yet. You don't know. Believe. He'll hold you accountable for that. And so he begins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, 
lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Notice verse 36 as he concludes the chapter. Whoever believes in the Son of God has, and the believing is present tense. Whoever is believing, don't tell me you believe one time. This isn't a one-time believing. You're believing in the Son, and that word has doesn't mean you might get it, you get it, the moment you start believing. Whoever does not obey, which is interesting, obey and believing seem to be used interchangeably here. That believing on the Son is the same as obeying the Son. Shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You're abiding beneath divine wrath until you come to Christ. And that's Romans 1. Men are being given up, given up, given up to their sin. This is evidence of the wrath of God presently. The wrath of God is not just future. It is ongoing. He's been giving us up ever since Genesis 3. After we chose sin and rebellion, he's been giving the race up to do what they want. The God's judgment for sin is often more sin. And our sins will kill us. And they're doing that. So, we want to look from John 3.16 itself and develop it. Uh, three marvelous strands in the sweetest music, this side of heaven, written in the key of be saved. Uh, it's, it's in the C, C major when it really is developed. It's four C's to help you remember. The first thing is the cause of our salvation. For God so loved. Second is uh, the condition, I'm going to get it here, the cost of our salvation that he gave. Thirdly is the condition of our salvation. And fourthly, the consequences of our salvation. What is the cause of our salvation? This one little word, for God so loved the world. And... uh, This is uh, an amazing thing in the book of John. God describes the love that goes on between he and the Son in John 14 through 16. It's like this microwave of love between the Father and the Son. And it's just going back and forth and back and forth. And all of a sudden, these members decide that they will love an object that is hostile to them. Let me give you John's usage of the word world. The word world can be uh, the universe. Uh, They had a word for earth, terra firma. It's not this word. It's really the word that we get our word cosmetics, that which is beautiful. But it came to have a negative meaning, and this is where John 15, 18, the world hated Christ, it says. The world hates Christ. Christ. 7 7, Jesus said, The world cannot hate you, but me it hates. 12 31, 14 30, Satan is called the prince of this world. He runs it, he's the power behind it. 
110, he said the world was blind to Christ. He came into the world, but the world was blind as to who he was. He said in John 17, 25, the world does not know the Father. 14, 17, the world cannot receive the Spirit. So the world is seen as this hostile entity that has rebelled against God. It's the world of humanity in rebellion and rejection against God and against his son. And yet the amazing thing, such an enemy, such a hostile enemy, while we were at enmity towards God, actively hating God, God loved us. God so loved. There's five characteristics you ought to remember about God's love. It's different than any other kind of love in the world. Five things when he says he loves us here. The source of God's love is his own character. He, he loves out of what he is. God is love as to his nature, as to his character. It is in the na nature of God to love even an enemy. So he tells us, love your enemies. Anybody ought to be able to love their friends. And we struggle doing that, don't we? Even loving your mate. Even loving your kids at times. And yet he says, love your enemies. Well, you know, show me somebody who knows how to live it. God says, I've loved my enemies. The cross is for my enemies. For while we were yet without Christ, while we were godless, ungodly, hostile by nature, Romans 5, God commended his love when we were at our worst. When we were at our worst, God did his best. God so loved. The cause of your salvation is God's love. The source is in himself. Two, the quality of his love is it's unconditional. It's not bestowed upon people who have merit. None of us merit the love of God. None of us. So it's an unconditional love. I'm losing this. Three, the goal of God's love is to benefit the one loved. The goal of it is he wants to benefit you, though it will cost him. The evidence of God's love is action. You can give, someone has said, you can give without love, but you can never love without giving. You can give without love. Wrong motives, trying to impress. But biblical love, when you love like God, you can never love without giving. Because God's love, this John 3.16, is it takes on, it's the kind of love that will sacrifice for the object it loves. And that's exactly the kind of love he told men that the Spirit of God is able to take a selfish male world of the biblical ancient Near East and take men that women were just uh, subservient. He says, I will infuse through the power of the Spirit a kind of love foreign to all male species towards women. They will actually love them enough to sacrifice for them. Not have sex, not boss them, not have property, not just have somewhere to have a baby factory. They are worth sacrificing for, and you only get it from God through the power of his spirit because we're in a get-get world. You've got to be out of your head to tell an ancient Near Eastern man, 
God, when you come to know him, you'll get to acting like him, and you'll sacrifice for enemies, give up blood revenge, and you'll literally sacrifice for that woman that you can use as chateau. The extent of God's love is sacrifice for the object. So the source is God's character. The quality of God's love is unconditional. The goal is to benefit the one loved. The evidence is action. I love what Peter Kreft, the Catholic theologian, said. The opposite of love is not necessarily hate. It's usually indifference. You just walk by on the other side. Like the Levite and the priest. When they don't want to get involved, I'll just be indifferent. I know where certain panhandlers hang out. Some of them hang out right where I do my banking. It's a great place to hang out. Because I try to reroute myself on the days I don't feel like loving. Because, you know, I'm going to really miss a $10 bill if I give this guy something. Wouldn't that be a waste of money? It's easy. And then I could just say, I'll pray for you. Be clothed, be filled, you panhandler. You don't meet my specification of who I want to give money to. Because you're not really worth feeding. Well, you wouldn't say that, would you? But you sure can reroute where you go. Reroute. Reroute. God said, I won't ignore the world that hates me. I'll go straight to the cross. And in the book of Luke, the disciples were astonished at how fast Christ was walking to Jerusalem. And they said, slow down, basically. What, what is it's come over you? I must be in the city of Jerusalem to be crucified. We must get there before the Passover. And they knew because he announced by this time, two or three times, I'm going to die, but I must die within the city gates of Jerusalem. And they didn't even get that. They put him outside by the dumps. So the, the great cause of our salvation is uh, the cross. I don't know if you've ever dealt with a person, the big word in our culture is self-esteem. Uh, and you know what's amazing? You cannot... Up your worth by self. If you keep saying, I'm worth a lot, I'm worth a lot, I'm worth a lot, do you feel more worthy? Well, no, it just didn't work. You, you can't pump up your self-worth. It won't work. You know what? All you need, and, and it's based upon the proximity. If you don't like them too much and they say, oh, you're wonderful, well, that's okay, that, the closer into the circle of influence that you value, and just, it takes another person to give you esteem. You can't pump it up. Try it. I'm worth something. I'm worth something. You know, I'm worth something. I mean, like, well, why do you keep telling yourself? Because I don't believe myself. Well, well, what do you need? You need a significant other to say it. You see, there's a whole lot of people in this world, I don't want to test this and don't write me any nasty letters, but on one hand, theoretically, I don't care if they ever like me or not, because I don't even know them. They don't influence my world. There's a woman I live with, her yes or no means more than a hundred other people, because he's a significant other in my life. What about you being able to say, God has said he loves me, and his signature mark is the cross. Not a love song. Don't you make my brown eyes turn blue. Please tell me some lies. And I, what, what's that got to do with, how about action? What would you do for me? 
What would you do? God said, how about giving up your one and only son? Second thing, not just the cause. I went a whole bunch of tape the second service. The second thing is the cost of our salvation. The cause is God's love. The cost is he gave up his one and only son. When you use the word son, it's only used of about, uh, of God, about four different entities. God said, Israel, my son, I've called out of Egypt. It was also applied to Christ, Hosea 11.1. 1. But he used it of the nation and applied to Christ coming out of Egypt. Uh, he called angels sons of God in Job 2. The sons of God sang in the morning of creation. Uh, he calls you a believer, a son of God. But when he refers to Christ as his son, he's the one and only unique kind of son. And in John 5, 17, he called God his father, making himself equal with God. And for this, the Jews picked up stones to kill him. He never said, no, no, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. You don't understand. I wasn't saying that. He went on to say, I am equal. The father judges. Matter of fact, the father doesn't judge. I judge. But the father can raise the dead. So can I. The father can do this. He's going on to prove I am equal. I'm the one unique kind of son. And here we, the father says, I'll give him for my enemies. One of the moving things in the Jewish calendar is when they come down to Ras Hosanna and do the binding of Isaac, Genesis 22. It's famous in Judaism. It's one of the most moving stories in the Bible that an old patriarch in his old age would give up his promised son and in his mind had killed him on the way to Mount Moriah Romans 4 and Hebrews 11 said he saw that God could raise him from the dead. But in the mind of Abraham, the knife already fell in his heart. He said, I passed the test. I gave up my one and only son. Why? Wait, one and only. Yeah, I've got Ishmael. But Isaac is my only one of its kind of son. He's the promised son of my old age by Sarah. He's in a different category. How much would he love God, willing to give that up? How much would God give to make you his own, his only begotten son, one and only? Uh, I, I would say this. I think we get a little sloppy here. Sometimes we think the cross is saying this. You were worth that much. Us. I, I think that's the wrong emphasis. It's God loved that much. See, we, we can just turn it right around. Well, I was worth a lot. <laughs> no, you were worth hell until the cross. Yeah, that's what you were worth. You were worth being separated because you were, remember, hostile, his enemy, rejecting, opposing. What the cross shows is God's great love for you, not your great worth. But God didn't die for anyone but his enemies. If you don't see yourself as an enemy of God and in need of the love of God, Satan is blinding you. God has loved you at the cross, and he never needs to defend loving you another time. And you go the rest of your life, you don't love me. You didn't give me my car. You didn't give me the girl I wanted. You didn't do, and we do all this. Stuff. You're blind to the cross. If God did nothing else but the cross, he has loved you. Right. The cross is enough. It says it all. 
Oh, you sound man, what's wrong with the tape? Some, just come up here and just strike. As if a piece of tape keeps falling, bugs me. You don't preach any better than me. You want all the help you can get. God so loved. There's the cause of our salvation. The cost, he gave his only son. The condition that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The only condition he gives in John for eternal life is believing. Now, I, I think next week we're going to do a little study on what is saving faith. Demons have faith. False professors have faith. Many people that go to hell have faith. So there must be more to this believing than what we say. Well, I, I believe. What do you mean you believe? Well, I, I, I agree to the facts. John Murray says that believing in John's gospel is tricky because remember, you read, and many who believed went back and followed him no more in the gospel of John. Many who believed, you'll read it in the narrative, as you, and they went back and followed. Wait, you mean they lost their salvation? Now, they, they believed the miracle. They believed the fact. Uh, they were attracted to Christ. He'd get 5,000 together to give them a free lunch. Believe facts. You see, you can't go to heaven by just believing facts. You can't. Uh, did you know the devil? The devil himself was a witness to the resurrection. And according to Colossians, they saw Christ as he ascended, and he stripped principalities and powers as he passed through the heavens, back to the third heaven, and he just pointed his finger to angelic powers. See, you didn't keep the seed of the woman from bruising your head on his way back. And he reconciled all things in the heavens. Colossians 1. They believed. They saw. They had empirical evidence. They saw the tomb was empty. Even when he was on the earth, there's no demons that are atheists. That's up for Richard Dawkins. He's got to get his atheistic worse off than a demon. Demons said, please don't torture us before our time. Please don't cast us out. And in the synagogue, one man yelled out, thou art the Christ. He said, be quiet. It's not my time. You're going to get me killed too soon. Be quiet. That's for later revelation. Hold off. Demons know who he is. Hogs know who he is as the demons drove him down a mountainside. Ah, oh, what is the faith that saves? Well, I, I believe. Uh, how many of you have always believed that Jesus died? Well, that's pretty good. I mean, you, you teach at Cal and believe that. That's a historical fact. Josephus believed it. Many Jews believe I mean, come on. It's a fact. You may not believe the philosophically what it accomplished, but he did die. Fact. Unless you just don't buy any history. You invent yours. Get some mushrooms or LSD and you can invent history. It happened. Whether you believe it or not, whether you know it's saving effects. But this faith, John's going to spend much of the book telling us what saving faith looks like, and I want to develop that more next week, but the word really means to uh, abandon trust in oneself and commit all trust 
in Christ. Life forever in Jesus Christ. That's the title of our series here in the book of John. And we trust our time together today has encouraged you in Christ as we work our way through this wonderful gospel. It is our hope and prayer that chapter 20 and verse 31 will come to bear on your own heart and mind, and that you understand why John wrote what he wrote for the purpose of believing and having life eternal in Christ. To review a copy of today's program or to obtain the entire series, we would ask you to get in touch with us here at Truth For Today, and there are a couple of ways to do so. You can call us at 855-833-9864, or you can stop by our website, valleybible.org, and take advantage of the resource materials that we have posted there as well. You're also welcome to write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, the zip code 94547. And as always, your gifts make a great difference here at the ministry. No matter how large or how small, your financial contributions to this ministry allow us to continue presenting the gospel here on KFAX. As a TFT sustainer, we would also like to pass along your way a quarterly newsletter along with our once-a-year special gift and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional that we have. Again, these are all just simple ways of saying thank you for supporting us financially, realizing that this broadcast is presented daily here on KFAX through your financial involvement as well as your prayerful support. One other note as we close out our time together today, we would like to invite you to join us for worship here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. You can find out all of the details and directions at our website, valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. We thank you for spending time with us today. As always, it is a pleasure to share God's Word with you. And we look forward to the next time when we can do it again here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. <music> 